things that will make the Little League experience better for families and the players that are a part of it. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, entertainment, business, obviously. So uh, we're going to get into some stuff today. I'm Joe Favorito, along with our co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Joe. It's good to be back uh, with you. And I, I'm uh, disappointed that we been, haven't been able to do this as consistently as we used to and would like to. But under these circumstances, it's good to do any shows. So really happy to be chatting today. Yep. Uh, so how have you been? Good. You know, it's, uh, we are here in the, the almost middle of August on a Friday afternoon. Um, as most professional leagues have either started or are about to start in the U.S. Uh, it'll be interesting for people listening to this in the fall, how many of them have finished, although I, I have my opinion that they will all finish. Um, you know, we've got the U.S. Open on the horizon, all without fans. Um, and, and, and without some notable players, too. Without some notable players, although Novak Djokovic has now said he's going to play. Okay. Uh, but I also, you know, it's impossible for us here in a mid-afternoon on a Friday to talk about whatever the heck is going to happen with college football, because by the time we'll probably finish this conversation, three more things will have changed. Um, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's well, funny because every so often in the midst of a lot of the bad news we've been hearing, college football challenges and, and stuff like that, you do hear occasional stories of good news and what I'd call normal developments in the business. And since we're going to be talking about baseball today, there's one in particular that happened this week that I've been dying to get your opinion on. I find it to be a very curious story. You probably read yesterday that there was a deal announced between Major League Baseball, excuse me, the New York Yankees, specifically. Oh, yes. And okay. TikTok yep. with, just boiling this down to basic deal terms, TikTok paying, allegedly, according to all the stories that reported, including our friends at Sportico, $10 million to the Yankees to essentially become a sponsor and partner of TikTok. That stopped me in my tracks for lots of reasons, which could probably take up a whole podcast. I just find that really interesting. So you and I haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. So what's your, what was your immediate impression and how have you processed that since you heard it? The timing, obviously, given where TikTok sits with uh, right. the president of the United States and uh, his minions was really interesting. Um, there have always been rumors that, that a lot of the quote deals that TikTok has done with the leagues were pay to play, but uh, they vehemently denied that over the course of as long as they've been doing deals. Um, given the Yankees position as a very conservative company, it struck me as a little bit quizzical, uh, but for $10 million in this marketplace, I think the Yankees would probably do a deal with a blacksmith if they had to, to get the money. Yeah, uh, and, and that's think, true. You know, it is sports after all, of course. And, yes, and, would take and when you checks. look at the Yankees roster and the way the Yankees have tried to position themselves for years as a, as a vibrant international company, um, it makes sense. Now, ironically, you and I both know Buster Share, and Buster has been, um, who's a young first mover and, probably, I guess now, he's one of the five most active uh, sports-related personalities on TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he has always kind of howled at the moon at how much he has tried to get baseball to move into that space mm -hmm. um, and how they were uh, very hesitant to do it. So for this now, um, you know, coming aboard as a sponsor at a time when we don't know whether TikTok will actually be available in the United States, is uh, very challenging, but um, I think if you're going to try and, if you're TikTok and you're going to try and hook your wagon to a sports property and you wanted to have one that was rock solid and would deliver something, the Yankees are a pretty good one, especially since they could probably win the World Series this year. All right. I'll, I would take the uh, somewhat opposing view, and, and I'm not just saying this to try to be uh, funny, but I actually had to reread the headline and, and the key paragraph about the terms. It feels to me like, as I tweeted yesterday, based on the trends, based on the zeitgeist, the deal was reversed. 
that the Yankees should be paying TikTok, not TikTok paying the Yankees. In my humble opinion, Yankees have a lot more to gain from that relationship yes. than TikTok. Right. Well, that, TikTok well, is doing, as everybody knows, TikTok in terms of its growth, it's, it's a juggernaut that uh, notwithstanding the, the issue with our president and their situation um, in the US in particular, it's, it's one of the most amazing stories in media history. It has done quite well without official partnerships in terms of on the content side of the agenda with entertainment and sports. And it just seemed really random to me to pick one team, albeit an important one, with a big, big brand. But it just feels like they don't really need the Yankees to do what they need to do. And if you read some of the benefits benefits and quotes they're getting like including signage in the outfield or something like that like which by the way TikTok yeah. had with them had tiktok had with mlb last year okay fair fair enough but i guess you know the the businessman in me said well wait a second so if you're going to pay one team 10 million dollars albeit the biggest one in baseball or brand wise probably then where does where does that lead because obviously you you have ambitions if you're going to get into this business that could get expensive really fast. But I would come to, to what I'd call the fundamental thought here, which is I really think TikTok will be fine without doing these kinds of deals. Yeah. And it seems to me like if I were Kevin Mayer, who must have approved the deal, they said it had been in the works a long time, the new CEO, I, I would go to my head of biz dev and it was like, well, let's talk about this. Let's, let's analyze this a little bit uh, more carefully. Because that's baseball. And if they were to bring this kind of approach to the NBA, NFL, Premier League, et cetera, this, this could be a money pit. And I just don't see the ROI in my, in my humble opinion. So, well, the, the Yankees win twice. I mean, that's really. Well, that's what I mean. And once again, you know, the, the, the property takes the check as they always want to do. We understand that. Um, and you see some of that exuberant, perhaps irrational spending by up and coming players that don't necessarily have the cash per se, they have the market, market capitalization value, which is growing dramatically. So I don't know, I, I find that to be an interesting story. Maybe, uh, Joe, we can do a whole show about TikTok sports partnerships. And we can it would have to be a very short show though. Have to <laughs> well, it might be longer as each week passes based on the latest development. So anyway, why don't so you introduce our guest? Yeah, yeah Tom, let's, let's segue into baseball and social media and young people and brands, uh, because our guest today is Liz Brown, who's the SVP and the Chief Marketing Officer of Little League Baseball. Uh, and Liz, welcome, first of all, welcome to the CUSP Show. Thank you for having me. Hi, Joe. Hi, Hi Liz. Thank, thanks for making time for us. And uh, for, for those who may be listening, uh, we'll, we'll do a little bit of a primer of how the business of Little League works that Liz can walk us through. Um, but this is obviously a very interesting time of year because I would imagine, Liz, right now, where would we have been? We would be through the Nationals and into the international event for Little League at this point? So we would um, be through the regionals, uh, wrapping up the regionals, and then um, really beginning the World Series next week would have been our, our process. We would have also had our softball World Series happening right now, as well as a few of the other divisions. So we would have been in the thick of it, as we like to say. Right. Yeah, and Liz, it's really strange to turn on ESPN at this time of the year and not have those pretty ubiquitous uh, Little League World Series games, which honestly were one of the high points of the summer, I think, for a lot of fans and uh, yep. sports viewers. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we always said we, we enjoyed owning August with ESPN and having that coverage. Um, 366 games, I believe it was last year or something close really? to that. I didn't so, know that many. Yeah, um, between ESPN Plus and the Linear Network. So yeah, it's very bittersweet um, for us and obviously for all the, the families and players that enjoy Little League every year, but we would have been in it right now. So, so before we get to Little League, uh, as we like to do with our guests, can you take us through kind of the career path as to how you ended up um, at Little League where you've been for a while, but you've had some interesting stops. Tom and I... Uh, both know some of the people that you've worked with over the the the, uh, the course of your career. So just kind of give us the uh, the rundown as to how you got to where you are and kind of what the job entails today. Sure. So I uh, really got out of grad school thinking I would be you know heading into sort of a, a collegiate athletic 
role of some sort. I spent time in the athletic department when I was in graduate school and um, really ended up in an internship doing, you know, sort of event activation around sports sponsorships. And I just loved it. Um, long hours, middle of the night setups, whether it was the U.S. Open, it was uh, the Women's World Cup of 99 was one of the events that I had the privilege of just uh, being a part of from an activation standpoint for some sponsorships. And so I ended up going down that path and uh, worked for a few different marketing agencies. And I, I think the agency business in early in your career is amazing because you get to touch and learn so many things um, so fast. And so that was really, I spent um, really the first 10, 15 years of my career working for three different agencies promotions events, and then into sort of sponsorship consulting when I was at, Velo at the time, Velocity, um, now MKTG. And, you know, then was able to put on a different hat and it wasn't necessarily always about um, the next sort of project. It was about what is best for this brand and really diving more into the strategy behind the brands and working for some people who I considered to be the most strategic in the business. So um, was able to really get some amazing experiences. And then quite frankly, you know, saw an opening at Little League back in, in 09. And I, um, my family is in PA and said, I really would like to maybe get a little bit closer to them and was able to uh, interview for the position and, and was able to take the, the position at the time was really focused on our partnerships. So sponsorships and licensing, um, a little bit of our sort of souvenir retail business, which, you know, over the 11 years that I've now been there has really grown and evolved um, to become really the, one of the backbones of the overall operation of the program. And, you know, we are a, we are a nonprofit and we are very mission driven in our focus of really teaching through sport and the two sports of baseball and softball in particular. But we also believe in providing as many resources as we can and making sure that local little leagues um, are affordable for families and that they have the resources to implement a youth sports program in any community, whether it's the US or around the world. So the, the sort of business side um, you know, that I'm involved with still involves the, the core functions of sponsorship licensing, retail, but has my role now has evolved into the communications, the digital evolution that we've been through in the last five years, um, as well as just how we, we keep families engaged um, and educated about the importance of not only sports and youth development, but also the Little League program in particular. So it's been an amazing journey for me. Um, but, you know, where we are today, even in this year in particular, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit, just the evolution of what our program means to people. And, you know, in, being in August and, and missing our most prized events um, and hearing from people how they can't wait for 2021 for us to be back. It's just a pretty, it's a pretty amazing feeling to be, you know, on staff for this organization. Liz, when you joined, so you joined in 09, you said? Correct. So what, what was the, uh, the media, your, your media world looking like at that point, in a relatively early days of social media? I don't think you had as big a presence as I recall on TV as it ended up being, et cetera. But just paint a picture of what that was like on the media side, which I assume was it helped support your sponsor deals and things. Yeah, and I, I would broaden it too, because so much of our communication, even back then, as it is now, is sort of a complementary approach. So um, whether it is social and our, our sort of television coverage during the events was, I think we maybe had somewhere between 50 games on television at the time, whereas last year we were 366 in the U.S. alone and obviously have some other deals internationally. Um, but, but social media, we weren't really dabbling in yet. We were very reliant on sort of still mailing um, and email to an extent, but our database of families was very small back then. And so we've worked hard, I think, over time, obviously, as many have, to identify our audiences. And we, we, do, we do talk to whether it's millennial parents up to the older generation of volunteers. And so we have to make sure that all of our communications and the message is reaching all of them with almost everything we do. Um, and so we're very active on social. Um, we still rely heavily on our database, which is now about 2 million parents and volunteers on a regular basis. We're putting out content to them. And then it's complemented with now virtual, but live events and educational and training sessions and webinars and things like that. So 
um, on the, the sort of media side or the, the sort of um, the digital side specific to the summer events really uh, related to ESPN and ABC, we also are in a sort of different relationship with them where we have more rights. So back in 15, we renewed our agreement and we really gained some abilities to focus on highlights and even some monetization with those highlights. So we have made a very active investment in not only systems and people, but in the promotion of using those rights in a way that benefits the, the reputation and the awareness of the program. So like right now you can see we're doing rears of games um, we're doing favorite highlight moments because we, we don't have our, our product right now on the field. So those have been very instrumental, especially in a year like we're in right now in keeping us top of mind uh, amongst families for next year. Because we use it as a tool for driving people's interest for the following year. Would you, would you like to take this opportunity to announce a new deal with TikTok? <laughs> I, I would not. Um, okay. I would not. I mean, I would tell you, it, well, first off, I think that it's a very interesting one. Obviously, we work very closely with Major League Baseball, myself included, on some of the both business and promotion side of things. But, you know, the, the, the teams as well, we do a lot of Little League days. The Yankees are one of our great partners for those specific events that we do. But, you know, the, the audience as a whole, put the, the business terms aside, just trying to always be relevant and get the younger audience to be paying attention to this sport is, is crucial. And so I think I find it just, I think there's a huge opportunity. It's fascinating. I won't speculate on the business side of it, but I, 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 I'm with you on some of your predictions. It'll be curious to see where they pan out. Right. Um, but what team better to align with than the Yankees yeah. um, in making well, wait, what, Quick follow-up on the media thing, because yep. I'm curious for this. And, and I know that your TV business has expanded really nicely. You just said up to 366 games. I don't know if I've ever read an analysis of, or at least an, even an article about the demographic breakdown of your TV audience. Can you talk about that for a second? Because I'm just curious about in a, in a sport that features by definition uh, a specific age group and the parents above them, I'm just curious of how diversified that audience becomes once it gets that kind of exposure. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. Well, first off, we're, we have a majority of our games, not a majority, maybe 50% plus of our games are on ESPN plus now. So the, the audience shift is, happening for us aligned with our partnership with ESPN and obviously they're the experts on their platforms but um, you know in some of our traditional linear programming it probably does skew uh, slightly older in terms of the family dynamic but we also know um, sort of anecdotally that there's a lot of the family viewing experience happening around our our, um, our viewership and I think some of the new ways of tracking that are going to only add to that um, sort of measurement in the future so um, you know, our, our Little League audience as a whole is really families like myself, you know, um, with, with multiple kids kind of participating and, and, and watching and supporting. And then, you know, even into that fan side of things, we see a lot of those families continue to tune in as well. So, and frankly, cheer on sometimes their competitors as they go down the, the tournament trail. So, you know, I do think it marries up to who we're talking to on a pretty regular basis and the sort of family dynamic. But um, I do think the addition of plus to our overall relationship in the last two years or so is really going to show a bit of a shift in that as well. Um, in terms of partners, can you walk us through, for people who may not understand, the, the depth and scope of partners that you have? And then the other piece of it is, everyone is now starting to talk about make goods and what you're doing. And you touched on some of the things that you're doing to keep your partners engaged. So tell us some of the, the brand stories that are involved and what they do. And then how it's kind of pivoted now in the world that we're in today. Yeah. So I, I would go back to the one point I made earlier on, which was really that our sort of business relationships help keep Little League operating in a way that's very efficient for our volunteer programs. And that's really important because we work with some amazing companies like Dick Sporting Goods, Adidas, T-Mobile, Easton, and so forth. But the understanding and the appreciation around what Little League is all about and what we stand for and how we're sort of trying to provide those resources on a regular basis to our leagues is something that our partners really get behind. And when they do that, they tend to be really successful because their, their programming messages are aligned with what our mission is. So like-minded partners is always the way, actually when I sort of joined, it was a, the way that we've always referred to 
those entities that we partner with that are sort of corporate um, in some respects or, you know, strategic as well. But, um, you know, we, we really try to work with them. And I, I credit the consulting background I had at Velocity in helping them create programs that actually resonate. So I'll just use Honda. So Honda has been a partner for 22 years of Little League, which is kind of unheard of in the sponsorship world, right? And they, for 15 plus of those years, have run the Honda Little League grant program. And every year we're helping them award grants to our local leagues for refurbishments, for things that will make the Little League experience better for the families and the players that are part of it. And so that impact over the, that long, you know, we get amazing comments about Honda and Little League and kind of that relationship. And then, you know, to the most recent with T-Mobile, who's our newest partner and a collective one with Major League Baseball. So we've been able to take that sort of really professional platform down to, to Little League. We've done some amazing sort of marketing together, but they created this relationship uh, with us in this program last year that um, provides assistance in registration fees to the underserved. So we called it the call-up grant and families can apply. And, you know, we awarded like a half a million dollars last year through this program. And we're ho hopeful to be able to bring that back, especially next year in a year coming out of COVID. Um, so again, like finding programming that is fun. Let me, let me tell you, we have a lot of fun with a lot of the programs and content and things we put out, but also finding an alignment with the mission has helped the sort of business relationships to thrive over time and frankly become partnerships that last well beyond the typical deal terms that you may see in the business. So um, in the age of sort of COVID and make goods, um, you know, we did lose our prized event in, and that is very valuable in activation and uh, a fan engagement and, and data collection and all of those things. But we have worked really hard to, um, do the traditional things that a lot of other properties are doing with extensions or figuring out ways to keep uh, engagement. And, I, and I'm, I'm really proud of some of the content and digital engagement that we've been able to put together for some of the partners in absence of having that most visible event. And I'll just highlight one of them. So we did a, a digital campaign called the Snapshot Showdown sponsored by Dick's Sporting Goods. And it was iconic photos from the World Series over time. And we sort of pitted one against the other and let people vote on it and all of our channels. And then we crowned a winner, which happened to be the 2019 uh, Little League World Series champions from Louisiana. But it had amazing engagement. And, you know, it was, again, people are missing Little League. So it was also looking at the lens of our fans and what they would like to see right now. And then naturally wrapping in one of our partners to that. So we've done a number of things like that to, to try to drum up the engagement, but we're also, we also recognize that the on-site and the in-person engagement of our event is missing. And how do we make good on that for the long-term with those partners is a big piece of the conversation. So that, that example of the photo uh, bake-off, um, I assume was a collaboration between your, your social staff um, and your sponsorship group and, and, and the sponsor, of course. Um, how big a social team do you have? I was curious about We that. have a small team. So it's helpful um, being one team, marketing and communications, which includes our digital team. There's about 22 of us in total. Um, oh. On the communication side, there's you know about half that and vice versa on the marketing and sponsorship licensing team. So we're, we're pretty small, lean and mean, team, but it, it's helpful, especially in times like this where we're all remote and we're um, working on these strategic ideas to sort of make good or provide some value to have that team that understands each side of the business. So that's one thing as sort of the, the lead in this in some ways is I just really try to make sure people have that cross training and understanding of what each person's role is and what maybe their overall objectives are. So. Thanks. Bob. Before we talk a little bit more about the digital stuff, which time I'm sure we could talk about the platforms and how they engage. Um, tell us a little bit more about the international side. How does it work? How big is it? What are the partners like? Are there different partners for, you know, Far East or Europe? Um, and, and how has that grown over time from a business? Yeah. Side? Yep. So from a business perspective, it's probably about 20% of our, maybe a little bit higher than that, of our overall sort of league population. Um, all of our local leagues are autonomous. So, you know, where I live in Lewisburg, we're running our own league and we're following the rules, but we are fundraising. We are 
trying to sort of create a program that's right for our community. And the nice thing about Little League is that flexibility because in different countries, the program needs to take shape differently, whether it's baseball and softball, challenger, or um, different age groups and so forth. So internationally, whether it's Australia, we're falling under sort of the Australian Baseball Federation as the youth program that they implement. Um, to Japan, really, we are, you know, the, the sort of largest youth program, but we may have competitors um, in that youth space, depending on the, the uh, country that we're in. But it is very similar to the US in that those, whether it's countries or local leagues in a country are operating independently and, you know, sort of fundraising and so forth. But all of them are aligned under the sort of auspices of our governance. Um, and so they're following the, the rules and the regulations and we're working with them on different resources that may support uh, the nuances of implementing Little League in their unique country. And do the, do the brands support it internationally too? Or do you, do you, can you go and get brands if you're in Japan that would just support uh, Japanese Little League? Yeah, I mean, it's, Traditionally, the brands that are supporting Little League International and sort of have the overarching agreement, most of them are focused on the U.S., although we do have a few that have um, negotiated international rights in their agreements, whether it's Canada or um, some Caribbean countries or Mexico and so forth. But typically, we would work with them to uh, sort of gain those rights internationally if that's of desire to them. But for the most part, it has remained a sort of U.S.-focused business investment, um, although I think it's an area of opportunity for us as we continue to grow. International is probably the area from a, a, a number standpoint that we've seen the most growth in in the sport in the last few years. So in terms of opportunities on the business side, I think it exists there as well. And, and uh -huh. just the breakdown in terms of baseball versus softball, how many girls are now involved in softball under, under the Little League umbrella? Um, I believe it's around 350,000 playing in our various divisions of Little League softball. And um, three of those uh, divisions in particular end in a World Series. So that's been very helpful in growing the reputation for this, the, uh, the program. We are, you know, kind of a challenger brand if you looked at it in the traditional business sense. You know, it's a newer, a newer program. And, um, but it, the fact that we have all of our games from all of those World Series on some sort of television on ESPN is very helpful in the reputation building for the program. So let me ask you both a question, um, or first, before I ask the question, refresh my memory. Where, where does MLB stand on its policy towards uh, uniform patches? Where are they now? Yeah, is it, is it in process? Is it happening? Well, the big experiment is Nike now, the swoosh on the front of the jersey, which they just put in this year. Okay, but nothing to the extent of like the NBA with the two yeah. by two. There's not okay. been, there's been talk, but nothing's happened. So, so I'm going to ask Liz and Joe, you can answer too, because I'd love your opinion. I don't think you and I have actually talked about this. I don't know why any of these pro leagues are resisting this. It's found, it's essentially found money that has now kind of proven it has no impact on the other facets of the business, including media metrics or whatever. Why wouldn't, and I'm wondering if Little League, in other words, is different properties, including minor league baseball, um, would try to copy some of that, those best practices associated with what I'd call low-hanging financial fruit. And so Liz, I'd like you to actually answer the question first with your old Velocity consulting hat on, mm -hmm. and then second as Little League's top, you know, marketing kind of uh, strategist. Um, and Joe, I'd love to hear your opinion on that too. Mm -hmm. Sure. You're going to have me separate. I know too much now. It's hard to separate. <laughs> that right. um, I think number one, I agree with you. I do think there is a huge opportunity, and especially in the days of sort of real estate, um, for visibility. I think it's an obvious one. However, I also think there's a certain prestige that a lot of teams or properties need to hold. And so I think you do run the risk at times of a cluttered environment and making sure that you're not um, appearing to, to have too much in that process. That, that's sort of my, my view. And, I, you know, as a consultant, I would want to make sure my brand can truly stand, up, stand apart in that sort of scenario. Um, I do know too much, so it's hard for me to separate the answer. You know, from, from a Little League seat, 
we're still very considerate of the fact that we are a youth program. And while you've seen many youth programs do deals that include a jersey patch of some sort or um, their media partner on the, on the uniform they require folks to wear or whatnot, you know, we, we, sort of, we sort of evaluate a little bit with our gut on you know, how much is too much and what is that line? And I will tell you, it's not anything that is in a textbook that you can read or no. in the trades on a regular basis. It is us knowing our constituents and knowing the reaction they may have. And frankly, a lot of us are parents ourselves. How do we feel about it? Should we ask our, our families that are in our database some specific questions? Um, and so we're very cautious. And I do think, you know, sometimes we probably leave some money on the table that could be useful in our operations to help our leagues, but it is, it just has to feel authentic and it has to feel like little league and in, in uphold the reputation that we have. And so we're very protective of that. I would say we won't risk it for something that feels, um, you know, like it might not have staying power, if you will. And it, you know, one thing I would, I would cite as an example is Williamsport still has a clean outfield. There is no branding. Really? in the outfield of Williamsport. And, you know, our CEO will tell you, never say never. However, it would be a very uh, unique situation if we were even to consider that. So I think that's a testament right there of just the way we make those decisions. I'll tell my friend at TikTok to give you a call to buy the outfield from (laughs) you. All right, Joe, what do you think of that issue quickly? Yeah, and then I had a a question actually off of this too with regard to local sponsorships and how those, for some reason, Bad News Bears and Chico's Bail Bonds flew into that. <laughs> right. um, local, obviously, to, to offset costs, a lot of local Little League organizations will sell sponsorship. Do you guys oversee that at all, or is it, are there, there standards and practices that go with that? Because I know, like when I've done stuff with Nickelodeon, you'd think that there's pretty some interesting sponsorships that could be had where you know Viacom would come down and say, you can absolutely not do that on Kids' Choice Sports or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of two lenses to look through. The first is we do provide guidelines and sort of operating policies for those local leagues to raise money. But the interesting thing is I did this for my local league for many years. So I was able to look at the policies that I was writing and see if they were able to be implemented. They are, but it, it was good to experience that. Um, but no, I mean, our, our goal is number one, to enable them and to provide information, resources, marketing expertise, so that they can learn how to fundraise in their local community if they need the help, but also to make sure that they are being thoughtful about it. And so we do have some restrictions. Um, you know, alcohol brands, for example, are probably not appropriate for a youth audience. So we suggest and sort of mandate that you stay away from that. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're not meant to be so handcuffed that they can't sustain themselves. I mean, they, they, they're volunteers, they need, to, they, they need to function and operate in a way that works for their community. And many of them, you know, the, the municipal environments and local communities have changed. They may pay fees to use fields that they never used to pay. So the expenses keep going up. And so our job is to provide those resources and not make it so restrictive that they can't function. Uh, but at the same time, try to educate that there, are, there is a line with the types of businesses you should be talking to and engaging with your league. Well, as someone who once played on a little league team whose sponsor was the cutest curl um, hair salon, and we actually had the cutest curl on the front of our jersey. I, I was seriously. Like, <laughs> but but anyway. I mean, that's, that, but, but wait, before we leave that topic, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like the entire kind of ethos of local little league, as I recall, because my son used to play, was getting the like jersey sponsorship was yeah. kind of like what you expected every time you went to a little league field. Yep. So it's interesting to me that that wouldn't have been pursued, or so far at least, because uh, to me, uh, it actually goes along with the brand yeah. and not necessarily a bad way. Like it's kind of, it's kind of uh, to Joe's story, it's kind of funny or cute or whatever. Yeah. Um, and also then, and not to belabor this point, but I, I hear properties worried about cluttering the environment, but, but the reality is when, when these sports are presented on television, the cluttered environment in the eyes of young people are the 40 or 50 or 60, 30 second commercials mm-hmm. that clutter the presentation of the sport. Yep. That's to me, what everybody should be concerned about, not a patch or two on a Jersey. So anyway, a little editorial comment. Yeah. 
No, it's fair. <laughs> I, would, I would guess it's probably the wall, the outfield wall, and the Olympics are probably the only two right now that are not uh, beholden to sponsors. I can't, like, even the NCAA. What the Olympics? What Olympics? The, if there's an Olympics next summer. Wow. I'm talking about, so if you watch the Olympics, you do not, you still don't have brands. On, you don't? On, am, I, am, I, am I missing something? I, what do you mean? You, well, you have huge sponsors. Oh, you mean on no, the actual, I mean, okay, I'm sorry. You meant okay. in the physical, the physical yeah. premises. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I think those, I, I don't know of anybody else because the NCAA is now dropping uh, courtside signage in with, with their partners. So it's interesting that, that Little League is one of the few holdouts. And, you know, to your credit, it's great that you're able to figure out other ways to do that. Um, yeah. But, you know, in terms of the patch question, the, the great irony is that you know, the, the patches on practice jerseys have been worn now probably for 10 years. And the NFL was actually the first ones that allowed it for practice jerseys. And then it went to the NHL uh, and the NBA. And MLB has, has never, I don't think MLB has gone there yet, even for practice jerseys. But now I watch Hard Knocks this week and both the Rams and the Chargers have patches on their practice jerseys, which have I noticed some, that. Yeah, I watched too. Um, yeah. And the CFL has had it for years. And obviously it worked okay for the short period of the XFL. Yeah. Uh, what I've heard from teams is it's only dollars. So they're holding out for money. Although now with the patch deals for the NBA, now getting into their second round this year will be the five years. So all the patches that were sold in year one are now being renegotiated. Mm. Uh, I, I can't imagine, you know, but who knows? You can't imagine that this is going to last much longer that you're not going to see an NFL patch. Right. So I agree with it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so in the, in the couple minutes that, that we have left, and we have our two questions at the end, um, do you want to talk a little bit about a little more about the social engagement? How you engage with partnerships with Instagram and and you know even TikTok, and how that's really helped, especially for your younger audience who is playing, really kind of grow the you know the, the casual fan for for little league. Can I yeah, just add part two part two of that question, maybe to frame it for you? Um, Tell us what, what are the most important third-party platforms for you at this moment in time? Sure. Good question. I'll start there. So I think audience-wise, our primary target is parents. So while we're engaging with players on Instagram and so forth, the parents are still, especially at the t-ball coach pitch and even the younger sort of age groups of, of player pitch are really influencing the decision making. So the engagement with them is very important. And whether that is information about Little League itself, um, because we're not the only game in town and it's important to educate on why we are, we think the best and what things make us that way and sort of give us the, the reputation um, to then the engagement and the fun and showing really what our mission is, which is to sort of teach through sport. Um, so Facebook plays a huge role for us in that aspect. Um, Instagram, you know, as a sister to that is really where we're focused on the younger audience. And we, we have an amazing traction on Instagram. Sometimes most of our sort of photo or video or highlight driven posts, as you would expect, are performing the best on an Instagram platform. Uh, and then Twitter we use to keep up on, and frankly, our CEO is on Twitter. So a lot of engagement also comes through his handle and his engagement with volunteers or news and stories. I mean, from time to time, he'll actually engage and answer questions on hot topics. Um, so we use that on the, in the traditional sense of putting out whatever important messages and so forth. But um, Facebook in particular lately has been where in this time of, of sort of COVID, we've used it strategically. So we've hosted a lot of live um, Facebook watch sort of sessions with our staff or with um, a notable personality. And then we've used the opportunity to also answer questions. So we're getting like dual engagement where someone is hearing something we're saying about a rule change or about this unique COVID situation. And they have another question that we might not address in the session. We're still answering all of their the questions and really creating engagement and our numbers have been amazing. And then we're also though, I mean, with all the educational side and making sure people know what to do, especially in a time like this, it's also complemented by the engagement of remembering what Little League is all about. And so that's where the game footage comes in or the highlights and the photos or just quite frankly quotes. And I'm probably, I can't believe I'm, I've neglected to talk about this 
uh, for a while, but we launched um, last year um, a, an amazing campaign called Girls with Game. And it's focused on celebrating female participation in the program, whether that's players, volunteers, parents, um, alumni and whatnot. And so that's also been really a staple in our engagement of just, again, awareness for the fact that we have female participation. We have a we have programming dedicated to, to sort of that, but also to really celebrate and showcase those amazing people that have been a part of it. So we use the platforms to make sure we can keep relevancy and stay on top of sort of the topics that people are asking about. And that's probably the last piece I would say is the feedback loop, right? So there's no better way to figure out what content needs to come in our newsletter than reading what things people are going through as pain points. And we, so we do pay a lot of attention to the chatter we get and the things that people are talking about. Um, and, you know, from time to time, we'll say, we haven't addressed that yet. We need to, we need to put, put a message about that out or put an article about it or some, some tips and tools. And if we already have, then it gives us the opportunity to reinforce it by responding or providing some other resources. So they are probably the most important communications tool we have right now is social, uh, followed up by the reinforcement of our website and um, our electronic communications as well. So. And you must have a great database after all these years of we do. working on it. We do, yeah. and, a, and okay. a current one. And that's really important too. We work really yeah. hard to create in-season parents as the people that we're talking to. Yeah. So we're, we're keeping that up on a regular basis. Do, do you publish an email newsletter or the like? We, we publish several. Um, yeah. Probably our most widely read is the parent connection, which is exactly as it sounds, a way to provide that information out to those parents that are actually engaged with the program right, right then and there. Nice. All right, Joe, how about I ask the first of our last two questions, our standard questions. Um, Liz, how do you uh, keep up on everything? How do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Who are you following? How do you, how do you stay current? So I, first off, I get up very early, which is helpful when you want to be up on the day. But I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I read the standard trades that everybody reads. And then I also spend a lot of time reading sort of leadership books or articles, um, things that are sort of keeping me current with my staff who is, is young and energetic. Um, and I, you know, that's probably the last piece is listening to them. I mean, a lot of my team is reading things that I maybe have never heard of. So we have a lot of great exchanges, whether it's through Teams or email or Basecamp, some of the tools we use on a regular basis to say, hey, did you see this cool application of whatever the scenario may be? And so I do rely on them to, to share information and make sure we're, they're helping me stay up on things as much as I'm sharing it back with them. So I think it's, it's, it's hugely important um, to make sure you're spending time on what the industry is doing. And especially in our space with youth, um, you know, we, we have a nice relationship with the Aspen Institute. So especially during this time, finding out what Project Play is focused on, but other NGBs too, um, connecting with them and, and finding out how we can frankly help each other because we're all in a very similar situation, especially right now. What are your top couple of podcasts right now? Your uh, listens. So I am listening to, I listen to a lot of different things. I am listening to Nancy Armour's latest podcast series where she's interviewing a number of notable women in the industry. Um, I listen to Dateline because I miss the shows half the time and I just enjoy um, that team of uh, reporters and some of their investigation. Um, I have a couple 30 for 30s that I just started listening to as well. So it's a balance between the industry uh, and sort of personal enjoyment um, and shows just to kind of keep in, in tune. So a lot of exercise this time of year for me. And so I, I tend to listen to podcasts during that process. Yeah, great. Um, Tom, do you have any new ones, by the way, that you've been listening to? Not to, before we get to our last question. Uh, new ones. Um, I'm listening to lately. I mean, I think we talked about the 1619 project. I mean, it's been around for a while, but that's pretty amazing. And um, I find my go-to one that I don't want to miss every week. It's, it's now twice a week is Pivot, which is uh, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Um, on balance, I find it interesting because they cover a lot of the topics that I like to think about. I mean, it, it's gotten a little bit more political than it started out as because of what's going on. 
but there I, you know, you probably guys probably know they're basically covering big tech and the influence of tech and, and fang and stuff like that. So a lot of the stuff that I think about for my class. Um, but that's one that right now that I say, oh, uh, it's Tuesday. I know an episode was dropped this morning. I'll listen. Um, I'll still go back to um, Ferris from time to time. But as you probably know, I mean, those are great podcasts, but you got to have the time. Uh, yeah. Many of, not, many of them are literally like 90 minutes or two hours you plus. You run a marathon. And then you <laughs> yeah, exactly. So to Liz's point, you know, I often listen when I'm on a treadmill, for example, and that would be a really long walk on a treadmill listening to Tim Ferriss podcast. Anyway. How about you, Joe? Anything you've added uh, recently? I really enjoyed the Flying Coach series that The Ringer did with um, Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr. I thought they did a great job with that. Uh, Michael Lewis has a series that he just ended. Um, and this year was all about coaching, ironically. Um, and my guess is he's writing a book about coaching. So he brought on some of the people that he was going to have to save some time. Um, okay, nice. Uh, those are the two that, that, you know, have been new and have unfortunately already ended, but they're worth, worthwhile going back to. But anyway. oh, let me just mention one more, just as a, as a partly as a, uh, just a nice shout out to our friends. But our, our friends, uh, Jay Kapoor and Tim Cat started a podcast called The Game Plan. It's a sports oh. business related podcast a few months ago. And it's all about uh, each show, they interview a different athlete, a retired athlete, and they talk about what they're doing in business, typically entrepreneurs sure. or investor types. Yeah, so people like Baron Davis, um, um, Sean Green, they've got some really good guests. So they do a really nice podcast, uh, it's well produced. Um, you, you know Jay, I think you know Jay, Joe, and yep. he's, he's a really smart guy, very thoughtful. Tim's a good guy, and they're doing a nice job. So they're doing that on a weekly basis, the game plan, so you can check it out. Cool. So um, our last question, Liz, and you're kind of a living, living example of what, what I think people should be doing uh, and what you've done over your career. But when two groups, either young people coming into the industry or now, as we're going to see more and more people transitioning into new roles, uh, what are some of the things when they come to you um, for advice that you give them? So the first one I think is, um, may sound a little cliche, cliche-ish, uh, that's a word. Um, I, I just believe in work hard, stay humble. It's sort of my, I have a bracelet that it's printed on. I, I just try to remind myself of that on a regular basis. And I think especially when you're just starting out or even when you're thinking about maybe this isn't the job for you. It's like, just get all of you, all of the experience you can out of the opportunity. Um, and remember why you're there is to learn, right? And to take it all in. So that, that would just be one um, of them. And then the other, it's gonna sound a little maybe strange, but I asked this question when I interview people. And it, if you ask my staff, most of them remember it. I, you know, I asked them, how do you feel? And how do you, um, react when you have to operate in what is really a state of gray. Like a lot of, um, especially young people coming out of school, you know, tell me what I need to do. It's black or it's white. How do I operate? Um, and so many decisions, like we talked about earlier, have to be based on what your gut is telling you, whether it's too much commercialism, especially with Little League, or um, it just doesn't feel right for a youth audience, or it does, and here's how we do it. And so it's very gray on a regular basis. And so I always find that question very telling. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of us face, especially right now, look at the situation we're in. This is a constant state of change, right? That's really what it's about. And so your decision-making and your ability to, to think through those um, situations and really come up with what you think is the best decision for the time is, is not for everybody. And so um, I always encourage, you know, my staff to, to, to think about their decisions and, and work together and, and come up with the best uh, sort of outcome. But, you know, oftentimes it's uncomfortable. And so you have to sort of be com comfortable with being uncomfortable in situations that aren't really direct and, and figuring it out as we go. So I would say those two are probably the two I would give as advice. Great. Great. Um, Tom, any parting shots before we uh, let Liz go? And I want to say one thing. I really hope we're not able to do this next year at this time, Liz. Um, Me too. That would be awesome if, if we're not. And the other right. thing is, as uh, an uncle for two seven-year-old girls who are very active in Little League, um, I can't tell you how important it is to them and my brother, who's a volunteer, to uh, 
they were very disappointed that they didn't have the season this year, but they've stayed engaged ironically with Zoom chats and other things. And Little League has been extremely supportive of them. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, you got it. Well, and I would, uh, I would leave you with, I hope we can do it next year, but you're welcome to come to Williamsport and we can do it on. Oh, I, I've never, I've actually never been. I'd love to do yeah. that. But I, Joe, what I'm picturing a year from now when you and I are tuning into ESPN is that there's going to be a giant sponsor message sure. on the outfield fence that says Amazon and then really large jersey patches on all the uniforms that says Microsoft or Apple. Or on the fr- by the way, on the front and the back. <laughs> Liz, Liz, you have 12 months to close the deal and get it all executed. Good luck. With I'm you. not feeling any pressure. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Liz. It was just such a pleasure to, to talk to you and hear more about both your career and all the excellent work you're doing at Little League. It's, it's, really, it's really fascinating. And it's something we have actually have been doing the podcast now for five years plus or so or something. Yeah. I don't uh, we think haven't we've talked done to, We've never no. really done with sports. So. Well, we've done like with Jeremy Goldberg. For, right. We, we right. didn't take this like a, what I call property play yeah. and use sports. So this is actually really interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, because I know uh, the part that you, the thing that you mentioned that I hadn't thought about is how you are partly operating uh, under the tutelage and support of MLB, of course, in terms of sponsorships and things like that. And that creates its opportunities and its challenges. So I, uh, I, I can appreciate what you're going through uh, with that. But no, it was really good information. And, and um, we wish you well getting through this. Um, and by the way, I love, your, I love the way you characterize this, like basically doing business in the state of gray. That could be the title of this podcast, doing yep. business in the state of gray. Because that really is kind of what we're going through. And as I've said to many friends in the sports business over the last few months who are not on the property side, or they're not in the business of staging live events. Like if you're just in digital, like I am in my career, I don't really think about it that often. Like, oh, you have to p- build bubbles and s- protocols and so that. You guys deserve a lot of credit. Anybody dealing with us on an operational level uh, when it comes to event-based stuff and uh, the aggregation of audiences and all that, they, I think they deserve awards right now in this business. It's, it just seems so hard. So congratulations on getting through it this far. Uh, and good luck with getting into 2021. So um, hope it goes okay. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Um, if, if people are curious about following up with you and Little League, what, what are the best few recommendations you have in terms of follows? Uh, so me, I would say LinkedIn or okay. marketing at littleleague.org. You can get myself or my team very easily. Um, and then I would follow us on our social channels. I think we're be very up to date if you go ahead and okay. do that. So at Little nice. Handles and all the platforms. Okay, that's easy enough to remember. All right, cool. Um, so thank you, Joe. Thanks, LJ, our trusty producer today. Appreciate it. Um, Joe, hopefully we'll be back soon for the next episode. Let's not wait so long. And we'll take it from there. But um, I want to thank uh, everybody who supports us behind the scenes, LJ, Tom, Scott, Etc. Um, and once again, thanks to Liz from Little League for uh, sharing her story and her thoughts on the business right now. We'll see everybody next time on the Cusp Show. Thanks again. <laughs>